Hello and welcome to episode 334 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Caracino. And we are coming to you from Renton, Washington, home of the Super Bowl 48 champions. Seattle Seahawks. People knew that. <laughs> okay. Wow. It was implied. It implied. We're just stopping saying their name now. They're too good for you. You're mad. You're mad because the Seahawks are too good. I get it. I'm not mad. I mean, especially last week. Like uh, Our credibility was on the line for saying the Seahawks were, should have been favored over the Cardinals. And there was a moment there, the first Cardinals drive, where I was like, oh no, I have put my faith in the Seahawks. What was I thinking? And then that passed. But we really shouldn't be talking about the Seahawks yeah, at the time. Please top. don't put it in the newspaper that I got mad. <laughs> oh. uh, we should probably go semi-emergency pod style here to talk about the end of the Mariners season because this is fittingly, somewhat fittingly, the <sighs> Felix Hernandez episode there we go. of the Pelton cast. And although Felix never got to pitch in a playoff game, he now has thrown out the first pitch. Felix did get to pitch in a playoff, playoff game. game. Uh, let's do let's do the beer and the toast first. We'll do we'll the, yeah, we'll do that first. Uh, our beer this week as we continue fresh hop season, the homegrown IPA from our friends at uh, Bale Breaker Breaker Brewing in Moxie, Washington. Here in Moxie, September means harvest. Coordinating with the barley maltzer, maltzer? That's not a word I can pronounce. Is the fruity herbal smells of fresh hops being cut and kilned waft in our windows. Now in our third season as barley farmers, and 90 years after the first hops were planted on our family farm, we're proud to share with you this homegrown IPA featuring our homegrown hops and barley. Notes of ripe lemon, grapefruit, blueberry, pine resin, and fresh cut grass. So, there you go. This is aromatic beer. <laughs> well, it it is. Be. What are you getting notes of that? Grapefruit and fresh cut grass and maltster. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's start our toast with the congratulations to UW quarterback Michael Penix Jr., who set a program single game record with 516 passing yards in Saturday's wow. win. And we enjoyed Arizona. seeing every one of them. Oh. <laughs> Definitely was paying attention to Some that. Some of us saw a higher percentage <laughs> than others. Uh, congrats, congrats also to Jeremiah Martin, who was named Pac-12 Defensive Lineman of the Week after recording a pair of sacks in Saturday's win. Wow. I really thought Jeremiah Martin played on the Huskies in the 90s. <laughs> I think you're thinking of Jeremiah Farms. I am definitely thinking of Jeremiah Farms. Who also did not play on the, in the 90s. He played in the 2000s. Okay. But close enough. He probably played in the 90s a little bit. Uh, also this week, a get well soon to UW legend Nate Robinson, who shared Saturday on social media that he's battling kidney failure and has been doing so privately oh, no. for the past four years. Uh, well, we're here also get well soon to uh, Hall of Famer Dikembe Mutombo, who also shared on Saturday that he's being treated for a brain tumor. So hoping for the best for both of them. All right, lastly in our toast this week's happy retirement to Jimmy Shane, who announced that he's concluding his career as an unlimited hydroplane driver at age 34 shortly after claiming his seventh driver's championship with Miss Home Street Bank. That's tied for second most in unlimited history with legendary Chip Hanauer and Bill Muncy. Shane had 25 race wins in his 12 seasons as a driver, including a pair at Seafair. Wow, Jimmy Shane hanging him up. 
at 34. Wow. I got I got to say I I'm given pretty good odds of a comeback at some point here. Okay. I don't know what you hang up as a driver as a hydroplane driver. Your helmet maybe? <laughs> He's throwing in the sponson. Uh <laughs> Can I give you a Jeremiah Farms fact? Okay. His child is currently in the NFL. Wait, is that for real? Jeremiah Farms Jr. is on the New England Patriots. I had no idea that this was a thing. I can't believe I missed this. He was drafted in... Jeremiah Farms was drafted in 2001. So I think... Okay, he, 90s. It's he serious. was pretty heavily 90s. All right. But there's a Jeremiah Farms... We are way too old. <laughs> I mean, that's accurate. Yes. Wow, I had no idea. We're so old, there's already a Jeremiah Martin Jr. in the NFL. <laughs> I mean, there's a specific reference on his Wikipedia page to this being I Jeremiah Farms. Okay. Yes. Okay. Confirm that it is his, his child. I mean, it would have been pretty improbable if not. But do we want to talk about the sporty event? That you were watching basically <sighs> the entire UW game. I was, I was streaming in our seats. With our our next door neighbors graciously providing the stream for that one, since since I didn't have a good enough connection to do anything but the audio, uh, and that it dramatically overshadowed UW's win over Arizona. That being the Mariners' first home playoff game since 2001, coming in Game Three of the ALDS against the hated Houston Astros. It it honestly feels like kind of a distant memory already. <clears throat> it's kind of incredible how long ago it feels. And I I think it's kind of funny where it's just like, cool, yeah, the baseball season's over. Not for the Mariners. It feels like the baseball season is over for everybody. Correct. Uh, I am aware of what happened in the two baseball games that happened today, but it was kind of just like the rabid further that you have to pay attention to them. It's just like, well, okay, we're going to wind down on baseball now. That's something for the people of Philadelphia and San Diego to pay attention to at the moment. Uh, but... I feel like there's not that much to say about this game, right? Like it's been there's picked not to death. That much to say. It's about been this. picked to death or whatever. And like the reality is, they probably weren't going to win the series after they lost the first two. If you could take a time capsule and look back at the series, I think the second that Jordan hit that homer in Game One, the series was over. And it, it took baseball comes down to so many of these micro moments and little decisions, but. And the, the Mariners lost almost every single one of these games. And you can point to one moment that usually involved Jordan as the reason that they lost the game. Or whatever. Like something that could have been slightly different in any of the games. But the reality was Jordan changed the series in that game. And if the Mariners win that, we're talking about a totally different series. But... When that happened, when they blew that lead, it not only deflated the Mariners. You know, I think there was a Kellenic quote where he was basically just like, we're not thinking about it. And it was like, yeah, but you are. You know, maybe you're not Jared Kellenic, but even if they're not thinking about it, it's a five-game series. And losing a single one of those games is a huge fucking deal. Yeah, of course. Especially when you're already the underdog in the series. Like, you need to have that break go your way. And we kind of saw it in a couple of the other series, you know, like the Padres go through and they, they eke out a game in LA. And it's like, you're now in the position with those two home games right after that in a five game series to be able to win a series as the underdog. And when that didn't happen, 
the Jordan Homer in game two, coming back for game three, it was going to be such an uphill battle anyway. I just wanted to get to Sunday. That was it. I was like, just get us to Sunday. We had tickets for that game. It would have been so much fun to have done. It was a beautiful day. It was a nicer day on Sunday than Saturday in Seattle. A lot of the smoke had cleared out after a very, very strange night in Seattle, both with the Mariners. <laughs> Penix sets the all-time passing record. The Mariners are eliminated for the playoffs. It was windy and like 78 degrees on a Saturday night in mid-October. It was a strange night in Seattle. But I think that Sunday, like I, I'm mostly just sad for the day we didn't get to have right. because it would have been so much fun. Not necessarily that I expected the Mariners to win a series, but it would have been fun for there to have been one home playoff game is really fun. Two home playoff games would have been even better, would have been twice as good. But the way that it went down, the grind and just the churn of that baseball game, it, it started feeling like at some point the idea of the Mariners developing a run, right? Getting a runner on base, moving them forward, was just not going to happen. Oh, and yeah. it felt like that for both teams. Yeah. It was just like was somebody's going to hit a homer. A solo homer. Yeah. Somebody's going to hit a homer, and they did. It didn't even feel like, even though it was a homer in a dead center, it didn't feel like it was a bomb. It was just like, and it this, was. This is an argument you between you and Baby Fantasy Genius about. It was like, he hit it to dead center, Jeremy Pena. But it was like, that happened, and it Everybody in the building knew the game was over. The Mariners knew the game was over. All of those 47,000 fans knew the game was over. I don't... I think you're overstating this. I... It was deflating. I mean, certainly it seemed to silence the crowd, which was amazing for basically two full games. Not basically, two full games. And... But I don't think... I just don't think baseball players think the way about life that you do. It doesn't matter how baseball players think about life, but it was over. I suppose so. And and that was it. The The series came down to three home runs. Really, it came down to, maybe I guess you could even include the Bregman homer uh, in the eighth inning that happened against the Mariners. But it was just like, that homer, the Jordan homer, the Jordan homer in game two, Jeremy Pena in game three. And that is like, top to bottom, the Mariners lineup is not that different than the Astros lineup. Top the Astros lineup is very different than the Mariners <laughs> lineup. And that is accurate. So you don't necessarily need in baseball, when you get to a game like this, you don't need nine great hitters. You can have three or four great hitters and still be maybe the best team in baseball. I mean, I, I think if you want to be encouraged by this series, the gap between the Mariners and the Astros did not look that large. As I tweeted about, it was the closest three-game sweep in Major League Baseball playoff history in all the ALDS series. And there had been a couple, so this was four-run differential. There had been a couple that had been five or six, something like that, but they hadn't been since the first couple of years that they played the ALDS. So it's been an extremely long time since we saw a sweep that was anywhere near this close. Let me tell you the difference between the Astros and the Seattle Mariners. What's that? 16 games and 152 runs. Like, just because these three games were close, it is still an extraordinarily small sample size. And if you can get into a playoff series, you can upset a team. But to look at this playoff series and say that the Mariners are near the Houston Astros is the wrong way to approach. We're going to talk about the offseason in a second. It is the wrong way to approach the offseason because home field is part of those 16 games and those 152 runs. Home field 
doesn't matter that much in baseball. You you under like we talked about this last week. But I looked does, at the stats. It, it does, does matter. not matter. What matters is getting the buy. That matters a lot. Get, getting the buy. All of these different things. If the Mariners look at this and they say this roster that we currently have is close to the Astros because we played one close three game playoff series, that is not the right way to approach it. I, the way I agree to approach with that. it is that the Mariners are there is a massive chasm in a positive way. In a positive way that there is. You could be hopeful and say, we can hang with this team, but all a lot has to happen before the Mariners are at the level of the Astros. Well, that, the, those are huge numbers. You can understand that. 16-game difference for a team, two different teams that made the playoffs is a huge difference. Sure. Yeah. So... Just because they played close in a three-game playoff series, the Mariners could have upset them. The Dodgers long-term aren't as good as the Padres, or the Padres aren't as good long-term as the Dodgers are. They Probably. just upset them in a series. The Padres also, you know, don't have one of their best players who they'll have likely next season. Uh, yeah, I, I still think that the Mariners are probably better than their overall record this season given the youth of the team and the performance in the second half of the season and obviously a big chunk of that season they didn't have Luis Castillo who is their best pitcher no matter what what you might want to say so I I think all of those factors act to produce that 16 game gap now what's frustrating is it's a little it feels a little like the Seahawks and the 49ers in the NFC West in that like 2012, 2011 through 2013 stretch, or 2012 through 2014, where it's like whichever of these teams gets wins the division is going to be the favorite to go to the Super Bowl, and the other has to go on the round of the road in the first round of the playoffs, and that's where the MLB system, with as many wild cards as it is as it has, is still kind of shitty because the Mariners could win a hundred games, and if the Astros win a hundred and five, they're still going to have to play in the first round. And I, I guess would be able to host that series hypothetically, but they're still gonna have to play in the first round. And also, if you're the fourth seed in that series, guess you've got a pretty good chance of facing in the ALDS. It's the Astros. So baseball is a strange sport, though. Stuff can change year to year, but I, I it it was a grind. It was fun having playoff baseball. Was really fun, and I think from that point that I was saying about how it kind of feels like base, the season ended. When the Mariners were gone, like it gave us baseball for so many more months. This was an incredible season. It was the best season, I think. I would say, I, I, 1995, and then this is number two. I mean, it'd be to interesting. Me. I assume most people would still put 2001 higher. <laughs> well, but on, on this podcast, yes. It's, there, there's something about the like doing it. And having the, like 2001, they did not have young players, right? That was an elderly team. They, you could, I'm, I'm sure that there were some Mariners fans who were like, we have a couple year window and we know that it's going to fall off after that. But I, d- I doubt it. They thought we were going to be good for literally forever. <laughs> In the same way that we look at the Julio contract and they're like, well, he's signed for the next 18 years, so we could just pencil in the playoffs for that long. <laughs> Uh, you have to you have to look at the 2012 Seahawks though, like that's what this felt like. They got a little bit further than they probably should have. At no point this team wasn't the number one team in DVOA good. No, so it's it's kind of hard to compare them in that way. But it was like you came up with the more established 
You came up against the more established team, fought them very, very hard, right to the brink, right? That Jeremy Pena homer, that was the field goal at the end of the game, right? It was like Pete called the timeout and he missed it the first time, but then Jeremy Pena hit the home run, right? <laughs> like that's how close the Mariners got to winning, honestly, this entire series. They were so close. If, if one or two things break differently, the Mariners win the series and we'll look back on it and be like, fuck, but it's just going to feel like this offseason is not going to happen. Like the Mariners are in our life all the way from today until April. And they will be with us. Like the Mariners will be a central figure in Seattle sports. Maybe the most central figure in Seattle sports from now until April. We are going to be so ready for opening day next year in a way that we have not in. I can't remember ever in my entire life. I agree that. The, we're going to be so ready for opening day. I'm not sure I agree that there's still such a central figure. Like, I don't see anything about the Mariners on my timeline. The Seattle Times hasn't run a Mariners story in a couple of days here. So I feel like part of it is just there's there's only so much attention to go around. And there's just a lot of sports happening in Seattle, as we'll discuss during there's the rundown. But, uh, I, I yeah, I agree the anticipation is going to be high, especially whatever moves they do make this offseason. Oh, and they know it. They know they have to be all in this offseason. There's no I, just like... Don't, they don't have to be all in. The Mariners have to make moves similar to the move that they made with Luis Castillo, where it's a vision of the future. Luis Castillo is not 35. You don't necessarily leverage your future, but you can make a play where it might decrease the the 7 to 12 years for the 0 to 7 years. Does that make sense? I, I'm still not sure that should be their thinking all the time. I mean, Castillo was important to get you back to the playoffs, and he can be a long-term piece. But I, I don't know that, you, first off, you just don't have the kind of prospects in the farm system anymore to be giving up. It's also going to be about spending money, though. Because that's worked out so well in the past. They signed, a, they signed. I don't know if you heard, they signed the reigning Cy Young winner. And then that guy was literally the last pitcher they used. I mean, obviously you were saving him as a starter to go multiple innings potentially, but uh, and everyone was terrified as soon as he entered the game. I think people were a little bit too down on Robbie Ray. I I agree that people are too down on Robbie Ray. I think Robbie Ray will go in the next season as he's definitely not the opening day starter. Castillo is in pen oh, yeah. the opening yeah. day starter. I think Robbie Ray goes in the next year. Maybe is the Mariners' fourth best starting pitcher though plausibly true like as you said by fip that was true this season by basically every advanced measure it was true and you know like kirby didn't have the kind of like he hasn't done it multiple he hasn't won a fucking cy young he has not he no, has whatever. done it now in the playoffs though i think logan gilbert has he has enough under his belt that we shouldn't expect logan gilbert to be a solid number two starter yeah and you have to expect I think some kind of progression from George Kirby. I don't know if pitching skill from young players is a linear thing. I would probably assume that there's maybe like, if you look at a massive, massive scale, it is, but on an individual level, it's probably not at all. Correct. So I don't think we can just slot in George Kirby as better than last year. I think Julio, we could pretty much confidently slot in as knock on wood the most big the biggest knock on wood about health we've had since Russell Wilson when he was young is Julio. And it's just like you have to stay healthy, Julio. Please, for the love of God, stay healthy, Julio. 
apparently Denver Broncos fans did not knock on wood enough about Russell Wilson's health. Uh, I'm talking about Russell Wilson in like I know. 2013. I'm just joking. Uh, let's talk about the Seahawks, the Seahawks, the Mariners' impending free agents. The most notable one, of course, Mitch Haniger, uh, is you know a a cog in the lineup. Even once he was finally able to get and stay healthy in the second half of the season. I love Mitch Haniger. I'm very fascinated what his value is going to be. I'm also fascinated by that. The possibility of a qualifying offer is a realistic one here. Uh, that would guarantee him, I believe I saw was the average of the top 125 paid players in Major League Baseball, so approximately $18 million on a one-year deal. Feels fair. And going Is this a sh- new thing? They got like a franchise tag? I don't know when they introduced it. <laughs> okay. Well, I, don't, I think that just makes him, the qualifying offer, I think I don't think it takes him off the market entirely. They get like compensation right. if he signs somewhere else? I still have more research to do on the qualifying offer, clearly. We'll see if they actually make it, but... Uh, a short-term deal seems to make sense because as much as everyone wants to talk about, oh, the Mariners have all these young outfielders, like, which of them are we feeling confident about going forward? Jared Kelnick played better when he came back at the end of the season, but Kyle Lewis, uh, it, it's been a minute since he's succeeded at the Major League level during his Rookie of the Year campaign. And obviously you need to leave room for Sam Haggerty on the roster, but... Uh, Again, a lot of uncertainty about the Mariners outfield beyond Julio Rodriguez. So Machander would solidify it. It would be awesome to have a spot open for one of those young players. Right. But to choose any individual young outfielder and say, like, I really think Kyle Lewis's career is over. But to choose any one of those individual outfielders and say, that's going to be the one. That's more difficult. The thing we didn't talk about, I didn't do Mariners hot takes for this. We didn't talk about this. Not having Haggerty in this series in three very close games, somebody who does all of the small things, right? Yep. When you're pinch running, it's Dylan Moore and not Sam Haggerty. I mean, Dylan Moore was a more successful base stealer this season. That was just a bummer because Dylan Moore pinch ran for Ayuhani Suarez, and immediately there was a fielder's choice. <laughs> and it was what... Uh, it was Cal Raleigh was at first base instead of instead of Dylan Moore. And I was like, oh, this isn't as good. I think <laughs> even in the moment, promising. we saw them pinch run for Eugenio with Dylan Moore. And it was like... Yeah, I, I don't like that move in the playoffs. In in the regular season with the runner at second, ghost runner at second base, like you can be reasonably confident that you're not, get, most of the time, not going to have that spot in the order come up again. In the playoffs, you might play an 18-inning game. There's been, what, two 17-inning games already this postseason, right? Oh, God. I think they should put the Ghost Runner in the playoffs. I, the, I think I think Saturday's game increased the odds that it happened that that sooner It's just not later. fun. Like, it is not fun. It was I a mean, slog. It's, it's kind of fun, but it's also not fun. It, it, even, though the, even if the Mariners had won, I wouldn't have been like, wow, what a fun game. I mean, playoff baseball isn't supposed to be, like, at the end, you're like, oh, what a fun game. Like, Shil Kapadia <laughs> keeps posting about this on Twitter, about the Phillies. I forget what his exact comment was today, but, like, you know, a playoff win, you, like, wonder whether you need to go to the doctor to make sure everything still works. It's kind of wild, playoff baseball, how stressful it is. Yeah, people told us about it, but it had been a while since I had no idea. In real life. <laughs> All right, to so the rest of the Mariners' impending free agents, Adam Frazier, 
who uh, started throughout the season at second base, didn't quite deliver offensively, I think, the way that the Mariners were expecting after they acquired him last offseason. He's another player. I, the, I, I'm very fascinated about the value of the top three players you're going to mention. <laughs> yes. The third of those being Carlos Santana, who uh, it, uh, provided some power after he came over in that midseason trade. But uh, the the low batting average is still a bit of a sticking point as you look at his value, especially as someone who primarily is going to be a DH for the Mariners with Ty France, presumably at first base going forward. He he does seem like we haven't seen a league, a post-shift league. That's, no, that's a good point. Yes, that'll help it, Carlos Santana's value. Uh, offensive war with the Mariners was 0.4. So, not negative. But he's probably going to be... I don't know. I feel like in the like five to seven million range. Oh, I think that's higher than he's going to face. You think so? Yeah. He's I still mean, he a was, power hitter. I He made a lot of money this season, which is part of the reason that his trade value was as low as it was, but ten point five million? It's yeah. not like an absurd amount. No. I wouldn't be surprised if it's more like a one year deal in the two million guaranteed range with incentives for Santana. But his OPS plus was over a hundred. Like it, Carlos Santana will, a, he'll have a, a market. Designated hitter position. I know. Like if your OPS is one ten as a second baseman, that's awesome. Carlos Santana is not going to be out of the league next year. I agree that he won't be out of the league. And it, it's tough to balance. I don't know if he's going to be playing every day. Prevalence of the shift, which the shift was probably late two thousand teens or whatever. Prevalence of the shift versus just normal aging. Right. Like, when you look at his stats, I mean, he fell off a cliff pretty quickly. Like, he was an all-star in 2019 at 33. And maybe that was just an outlier season or whatever. But, like, I think that Carlos Santana has another good season in him. I hope so. I mean, I hope so wherever he is. Right. But like, fucking, we love Carlos Life Santana. Carlos now. Santana when they made the trade, it felt the same as the Justin Upton trade. It was kind of or signing. It was just like, eh, there's a body, you know. Man, it's like, wow, I had forgotten about the Justin Upton signing. It, he <laughs> literally was just like, like they basically traded nothing for him. It's like whatever. Everybody was hurt when they traded for him. I mean, you remember that period when they were playing players that I've never heard of who've been like, they're gone from the organization at this point. There was a moment where I can't even remember the fuck they were starting at first base, but it was like, I think, okay, anyway, go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, Jesse Winker deserves, he just deserves some credit when he, when they brawled with the angels, yes, something did, changed. It changed the season. Uh, Matt Boyd, the most notable pitcher who's a free agent after the Mariners acquired him at the trade deadline, moved the longtime starter into a multi-inning relief role, uh, but you know, the entire six-man starting rotation, including Chris, Chris Flexen, who I believe is technically it's a player option for Chris Flexen, but uh, I think the odds are pretty good. He'll be picking that one up. And uh, then the reliever, the bullpen is entirely under team control, some arbitration-eligible players there, certainly. Uh, and then the last free agent from the uh, playoff roster, backup catcher Kurt Casale, who also came over at the trade deadline in that same trade with Matt Boyd. So... Really, all things considered, it's not that many important players who are free agents for the Mariners. It's just those three starters. Let me throw a young outfielder out at you that we have not talked about. Who's that? Jesse Winker. Is Jesse Winker young? 28. 
Okay. Like, I think he's going to play better than he did this season. I think people got a little bit too down on Jesse Winker. I understand he wasn't playing that well, but if there is a player who is ripe for a bounce back to be, I mean, his OPS last year was 949. Yeah. The last two years were 932. He was a fucking all star in 2021. Yeah. The Mariners did, I will say, their moves this offseason, the players that they went, they didn't do bad overall, right? Because Ayuhenio, they kind of locked in Ayuhenio. But the players that they went out and got in the offseason were almost all coming off of career years, right? That were probably, like for Robbie Ray, almost certainly not replicable. And for Frazier, it was like, maybe. Winker was an all-star. Frazier was an all-star. Robbie Ray was a Cy Young. Those three players did not sniff what they did this season that they did the prior year. If we were looking at this in a time capsule, we would have assumed that those three players were contributors. If to the, you would have told us yes. in, in April, oh, the Mariners made the playoffs. Yeah. We would have oh, been like, great. Winker's hitting or whatever. Yeah. But like... Robbie Ray delivered the ace they finally they so long needed. If If the Mariners could drop Jesse Winker's 2021 season into 2023. I mean, they're they're that much closer to the Astros, just like that. Yep. So I I do think you have to expect. I don't know if Frazier will be back, but I do think you have to expect some sort of regression for those players at the same time, and probably for Ayuhenio as well. Yeah, in the in the other sense, yes. Well, it's been a fun season. The Mariners have uh, definitely changed their position in this podcast pretty dramatically. <laughs> and we're going to be like straight up covering everything. I mean, it, we did talk about all these guys during the offseason. Yes. The thing that drives that makes me the most upset is that there are Shohei trade rumors. And I just feel like it's going to be really difficult for the Mariners to get involved oh, in that yeah. conversation. Yeah. And that's a bummer. They're not going to sign Aaron Judge. But I still... It, the idea that they could outpay the Dodgers for Trey Turner is like... It's just absurd or whatever. But at some point, the Dodgers have to just cut it off. Right? It's At some point, they didn't go that far in the playoffs. And there might be an amount of money where Trey Turner... If you could just replace in the lineup J.P. Crawford with Trey Turner, that would be the best thing. <laughs> right? It would it would be an upgrade. So i i am I am hopeful that the Mariners will be active in the free agent market, <clears throat> whether you want them to be or not. I'm much more skeptical of free agency because I noted that what you just said about all the players that they brought in coming off careers and how they all underperformed. Well, do you think Trey Turner is going to underperform? He's not coming off one career year. He's coming off three consecutive All Star seasons. Five wins this year. How many wins do you think J.P. Crawford was worth? Maybe one. Actually, it's shockingly good because of his defense. Yeah. No, his offensive war was 3.2. Wait, really? Are, are you kidding me? Huh? That Sometimes there's glitches in the computer. Well, I, I mean, positional norms are a factor there. His OPS was 675. Oof. Okay. Uh... I would I would prefer Trey Turner plus whatever thirty million they have to pay him. I'm fine with that. 
And and the reality is like the spending of the money is just the Mariners made so much money this year. Oh man. Like it turns out you make a lot more money when you win the games. They make money when they don't win the games. The Mariners were bad for two decades and they own the TV rights. They own the network that owns the TV rights for the Kraken. They did nothing to do that, right? Did the Mariners do anything right, baseball-wise, for the last two decades to be in the position to own the network that owns the TV rights to the Kraken? I still think you think there's more value in that than I do, but no, the answer is no. TV rights are extraordinarily valuable. I mean, you have to pay a lot of money for them. Yeah, you have to pay a lot of money for them because they're valuable. Your fucking people are moving teams to conferences. Like, not you. I mean, this wasn't you who was involved in it. I don't know that Look, the Kraken... Look, all you're going to do is move Clemson to the SEC. I don't but, know that the Kraken are quite the level with college football. But you understand what I'm saying. TV rights are an important thing. Yes. And owning the local TV rights to the professional hockey team in Seattle is important. Also, the Mariners also, did that well, shit with losing, with not making the playoffs for 21 years. Well, Imagine them making the playoffs now. We'll talk about how valuable those Kraken TV rights might be a little later in the Hello. <laughs> is that a positive Kraken thing? I don't even know what's going on. Oh, it's not. It's not. It's uh, not. Uh, but we got to talk about food real quick here because Seattle's best burger is back for the next six days here. The Beecher's World's Best Mac and Cheese for at Little Woody's, their annual once-a-year uh, burger of the week. This is the this is the time. And I saw that e- I got that email from Little Woody's in my inbox and immediately went over there and got it. And great as always, Love let me it. tell you. So that will not be the last mac and cheese burger I have this week. I just want to say about the Mariners, though, I didn't give a chance to eulogize the season. What I, from from as the Pelton cast, I'm so excited that we got to be part of this season happening for the Mariners, getting on board. You saying you were listening to the Mariners on the radio and you realized you hated the Mariners for the last 21 years. No, no, but no, that no, I loved baseball and then just the Mariners exactly you hated the Mariners for the last 21 years, but you actually loved baseball. It's more than that for me. Uh, I'm even happy that we got to have this positive discourse about Ichiro. I think some minds were opened about it. <laughs> oh no, and. Just being part of the baseball world and watching the season, it was an incredible season to watch. Seeing Julio Rodriguez's rookie year, like this is some shit that we're going to remember forever. And the stuff that the Mariners did this season, the way that we got to rally around Sam Onofrio Hagerty and his quest to have a better record than somehow failed. Uh, he was oh, so, so far ahead. So, so far ahead. But between that, it just feels like something is happening here in Seattle around baseball. Yeah. And, it has been a very, very fun season. And I'm appreciative that nobody is looking up the receipts for the Pelton cast. <laughs> for all of the things that we said about the Mariners and about baseball and letting us jump back on the bandwagon. I've been, I've been on and off a few times. But for you in particular, like letting us jump back on the bandwagon after all of these years. It's like... I mean, I never said anything negative about Ichiro. I feel like my bandwagon jumping was more acceptable than yours. You were indifferent. I was anti-Ichiro, but I actually cared about the team at various different points throughout the last 20 years. I mean, I think the thing I'd say on that regard is, like, I'm just happy for people who did stick with the Mariners these past 21 years to finally have that patience and faith rewarded, Mm -hmm. which, like, there there was no reason to expect it would be rewarded, and yet it was, so... There you go. It, it was an awesome season. I'm impressed. And I hope that the Mariners have 
the best offseason and go into next year and it's not Eric Bedard status like we go into next year the monkeys off the back we don't have to worry about breaking a streak or anything they can just play baseball and go out and go to their first ever world series cuz i think this is the roster that is this is the young core that the mariners have built up that can do it with julio and with Luis Castillo and with George Kirby, like there is a re- cow fucking rally out of nowhere. Like there is a real core building for the Mariners for something very, very big. Yeah. All right. With that, it's time for one of our annual traditions. Tuesday night was opening night in the NBA. Wednesday will be the Blazers wow. opener and the rest of the league gets into the mix. And per tradition, it is time for the 10 players for you to watch this season, which yes. I am editing on the fly based on what happened on Tuesday. Are night. you removing players? <laughs> I removed a player and then I added a player to replace them. Wow! Based upon what happened? Yeah. Somebody somebody was worth watching? Somebody played a lot on opening night and then someone else did not play at all. So Holy therefore, cow. We're changing it. Wow. In real time. I love this. All right. So first player on our list. So, so to summarize what this list is. These are obscure largely obscure but potentially up and coming players that i want you to keep an eye on over the course of the season which means you won't (laughs) yeah we don't revisit this which means i will just mention them down the line and you'll be like oh you did mention that uh austin reeves was on here last year for the lakers and he ended up playing a lot wow you had austin reeves on there do you have last year's list i don't can you run through that uh leandro bomaro never heard of him didn't play a lot moses brown Oh yeah, he was pretty good, right? No, oh, okay. But he's on. My, he he was like in consideration for a second. I must have been of Moses Malone. <laughs> uh, Javon Carter, okay, now in Milwaukee, played a little bit in their playoff run. Daniel Gafford, who got a big extension <laughs> with the Wizards, <laughs> did he? I've he never did. People. Josh Giddy, Giddy, of you know, course. Giddy. Yeah, he, he's, he's like not the that seventh obscure. pick in the draft. International players, there's a little more leeway with uh, Bones Highland. Oh, you know, I love very Bones. trendy yeah. six man award pick this year. Uh, Jock Landale, who uh, hmm. played pretty well in the preseason <laughs> this year for the Suns. Uh, Austin Reeves. Paul Reed of the Sixers. Oh, yeah, Paul Reed. We're still help. waiting for Doc Rivers to actually play Paul Reed enough. And then, of course, Elperon Shingun. Oh, yeah, of course, Shingun. Was Tyrese Maxey too good, or were you not in on him? Too good. Okay. Uh, I was also a year early. Max Drews was on the list in 2020. Oh, uh, yeah. Did not make it last year, which was actually his breakout season. <laughs> <laughs> the Struess Nassance. Uh So these are players who were uh, uh, under the radar. Yeah. Heading into the season. Some some could be similar to Josh Giddy, first round draft picks. I don't think I have any first round picks on this year's list. It's, if anything, somehow more obscure. <laughs> Sometimes I hear you and Zach Lowe talking about players or whatever, and I'm just like... Whoosh. One of these players on the list came up on the low post, but I was not the guest. Oh. Did not bring up this person. Uh, and and this is often the the Denver Nuggets dominate this. I mean, I felt obligated to put a Nuggets player on here. This we is like the Facundo, Facundo Composo this. list, right? Jokic invented it. Jokic did uh, make it back. Nurkic actually invented it back in 2014 because he came over the year before Jokic did. Oh, okay. So Nurkic I don't know if that was our first year. Nurkic was really he was he was the OG Nuggets yeah. player, and then Jokic the next year, and then they've just had like a constant stream. Well, Juancho Aaron on Gomez in 2016. 
You now, didn't realize you were predicting his acting career. I put him on the list in both 2016 and 2017. Wow. <laughs> truly, truly spectacular. Never, is he stuff. on a team, Lancho? Yeah, he's on the, he's on the uh, Toronto Raptors. Hmm. Guaranteed contract. All right, the first player on our list is Santi Aldama. Should I even try to guess what teams these players are? People do find it hilarious when you try to guess. So I'm going to guess put out one guess. Santi Aldama is on the Wizards. He is on the Memphis Grizzlies, who drafted him with the 30th and final pick of the first round in 2021. Uh, Old Barry did not play much at all as a rookie, but this year, taking advantage of the injury to Jaron Jackson Jr. at the start of the season, he has emerged as their starter wow. at power forward next to Steven Adams. Is uh, shooting the ball well. Has dropped some weight, so he's more mobile. He he's a Spanish native. Uh, played in the in the Patriot League. His college ball. Uh, I want to say at Loyola, but I'm not sure about that at the top off the top of my head. And uh, played tremendously in preseason. So potential breakthrough candidate in his second season. Okay. All right. Next up is Christian Brown. On the. Rockets. Denver Nuggets. Oh, These no, are Denver Nuggets. Nuggets. I should have just guess the Nuggets for everybody. Was probably the best player on the court in the national championship game for Kansas. Uh, someone that Kansas might... played in the national championship game? Kansas won the national championship. <laughs> what? <laughs> I have to look that up. Uh, someone my projections have always liked. Good shooter. Not, not like spectacular shooter, but a very good shooter with some size for the wing. And pretty good athleticism for that kind of player type, relatively speaking. I mean, he's not this kind of ball handler, but there's like a, a little bit of Brent Berry to his game, I guess you'd say maybe for Christian Brown. Christian Braun? Like yes. B-R-E- okay. It's, it's not spelled like it's pronounced. I was going to say, I did some Googling that it's, did not turn up the proper It's spelled like person. Ryan Braun, but it's pronounced like Brown. So, Are you sure Kansas won the national championship? And this white guy was their best player? Well, he wasn't necessarily the best player of the season. Ochai Abaji was probably their best player on the season. <laughs> I'm saying he had a really big national championship game. Wow, does this feel like a Nuggets player? He's not foreign, though. He's not foreign, no. Very much not foreign. Now, you're, now you've got me double checking, second guessing. Yes, Kansas did win the national Against championship. Against who? Oh, Baylor? North Carolina. You, it was UNC Kansas. Yeah, because North Carolina beat like, Duke in the they semifinal. They were like an eight seed, right? In Coach K's final game unc was like a really low seed though yes okay i saw their preseason number one and i was like damn i thought unc was kind of like well they brought a lot of guys back because they had no nba prospects because north carolina is now duke because they're duke yeah now that coach k is gone do you think it'll flip uh i think they like this strategy all things considered it's it's a pretty good strategy all right next up on the list jamal kane the Raptors, Miami Heat. I don't. I'm not going to get. You're going very. I'm, these are names I haven't even heard before. I mean, Christian Brown again. Maybe the best player in the national championship game last I year. Definitely don't think I watched that national championship game. So Jamal Cain went undrafted. He played four years at Marquette. Spent last year at Oakland, where he. Uh, so he was kind of a role player at Marquette. Never averaged double figures. Averaged 20 points a game last year at Oakland. In the one in Michigan. Yes. Okay. And went undrafted. Miami had him in, in camp on a non-guaranteed contract, converted him to a two-way. He played awesome for them in the preseason, including on a nationally televised game against the Nets, where he was kind of going back and forth with Kevin Durant, which is wild. It looks like he could be the latest in this Struess, Duncan Robinson lineage uh, for the Heat. All right, next up on the list. Playing in Sioux Falls, too. Musa Diabate. 
on the Kings. L.A. Clippers. Oh, God. Second round pick from them out of Michigan. I, I wasn't a big fan of Diabate coming out of college, but he was pretty awesome in the preseason, including in the couple of games that they played here. Uh, played a lot in the fourth quarter against the Blazers. And it's going to be him competing with Moses Brown for backup minutes at center when the Clippers actually play a backup center as opposed to going five out and putting Robert Covington as the I think I center. heard them talking about it. I think he was the one who Zach Lowe talked about on a podcast, right? Uh, he's not the person I was referencing, but I think he may have come off on a podcast. Yeah, I think I heard him and Simmons talking about that when they were talking about the Clippers' center depth. Yeah. <clears throat> All right, next up, Simone Fontecchio, an Italian. I like that. Yeah. Is there anybody from the Kings on the list? There is somebody from the Kings on the list. But <laughs> The way you said that, I'm assuming it's not him. The Spurs? Utah Jazz. Oh, who signed him after the Rudy Gobert trade. And Fontecchio's got a chance. He's been very effective internationally, played for Italy in Eurobasket this summer. Uh, he's got a chance to play a lot for the Jazz because they have no one else who is between the heights of like six foot five and six foot ten, uh, which led the other day. I, they, I was watching them play against the, the Mavericks in the preseason, and Lowry Markinen was defending Luka Doncic which seems like not a great strategy. Uh, Fontecchio, predictably a good outside shooter, kind of a lanky six foot seven type. So he'll get a chance to play as a, a European veteran rookie for them. All right, next on the list. Wait, I, this Simone Fontecchio, is he, could he be playing on a team that wasn't the Jazz, a team that was trying? Maybe a little. Okay. Is this the start of something? Because I'm like, I see this dude and I feel like he could probably hoop. I mean, if, if we can get Paulo Bancaro playing with the national team... Get Danilo Gallinari back healthy. The Italian national team's got some makings. Is Paulo going to play with the Italian team, not he the is, Americans? I, I don't know if he's cap tied, but he said he's going to play for the Italian national really? team. Really? Yeah, we've talked about this on the podcast. You never remember anything. I, I, I was you. I was a little bit I was a little bit out on Paulo, but now all of a sudden they pull me right back in. Yeah. If he's going to play for the that's some shit that we would do. Like <laughs> it is. <laughs> just be like, he knows he would be a fine. He could play for the U.S. team, right? Yeah, but it's like he's just another guy on the U.S. team. Why not play on the Italian team with your boy Simone Fontecchio, right, and dominate as the the best player on the Italian team? You don't need to be the eighth best player on the American team. It's not that fun. Right. <clears throat> Damn, Paulo, I'm I'm impressed. All right, next on your list, I'm going to give you the list. I'm going to give you a hint here. Okay, someone who played earlier this evening, Sam Hauser. Oh, I know that name. He's on the Celtics. He is on the Celtics. There yes, we go. I, I heard Simmons him. talking about him. They are counting on him to replace Gallinari in the lineup. He didn't play as much as I expected. Did Gallinari tonight. get injured? He or go suffered, back to Europe. He suffered an ACL. He had signed okay. with the Celtics and suffered an ACL tear. This was not in Eurobasket, but uh, I believe that was in uh, World Cup qualifying, which was being held right before the Eurobasket started. Now, Sam Hauser went to like one of those Big Ten schools, right? He started at. I don't think it was a big 10. Oh, Marquette. Yeah, it was Marquette and okay. then transferred to Virginia. Marquette's like an honorary big 10. <laughs> it is, yes. Yeah. It's, in the, it's in the big 10 footprint, so it's understandable. It stretches from. So how is <laughs> the big 10 footprint from New York to LA? <laughs> oh, that's a good point. All of us are in the big 10 footprint. What do you really think about it? Uh, good shooter, someone who has always came out quite well in my projections. And at some point I kind of written off like, eh. Maybe I maybe the projections are just wrong in him, but the Celtics had him on a two way last year and they promoted him to a full NBA contract this year. All right, next up, Casey Okpala. 
I remember this dude's name too. He, did he go to Gonzaga? He went to Stanford. Stanford, played Stanford that's where I remember from. Was a first round prospect, but ended up going very high in the is second round. Is he on the Kings? He is on the Sacramento Kings. Two in where? a row, baby. He is, has started in the preseason as someone who was on a partially guaranteed contract. Uh, he's part of the Nigerian national team where he was coached by new Kings coach Mike Brown, who brought in multiple members of the Nigerian national team. I chose Casey Okpala over Chimo Maneke, who I brought up on a low post <laughs> as my pick here because of the fact that Okpala started in the preseason. Uh, they played quite well, uh, dominated the Lakers in their last so he's probably going to start opening night. Keegan Murray uh, is still in health and safety protocols, won't play in opening night. You must be devastated. I, uh, well, yeah, against the Blazers. If it was in Portland, it would be the, even that much worse, but that one's in Sacramento. So we'll, we'll see some Casey Ogpala. So Casey Ogpala's been around for a while. Yes. Yeah, I believe he was drafted in 2019. I saw him play in the G League Showcase that year. But just now finally getting a real opportunity. Yeah. Didn't didn't play that well in Miami, all things considered. Are there any like Geno Smith style, like granted it's been three years, but are there any players who have done that who had a few years of mediocrity or bad play? Does Andrew then... Wiggins count? No, that's a, that look as now. I mean not second round draft picks or undrafted free agents, not the first overall pick in the draft. I'm sure there are examples of it. I, I can't think of it at the top of my head. As somebody who's played badly for a little while, but then ended up being a solid role player. I mean, there's lots of those guys is the answer. Okay. All right. All right, next up. Speaking I, of speaking I, of quarterbacks. But the Kings in general, did we talk about them on the podcast, or is that you and I talking over? Probably just you and I talking. Offline. Uh, I'm all in on the Kings. They Preseason is pretty predictive, it turns out, and they had a dominant preseason. I was already, that was like my best bet was Kings over. And now I'm all the more convinced. Are the Kings making the playoffs? They're making, I'm confident they will make the play-in. Confident that the Kings will make the play-in? I think it's certainly more likely than not that the Kings will make the play-in. Wow! Unfortunately, it's, unfortunately because I don't think the Blazers are going to be very good. The when Blazers was the last time that the most... Kings made the playoffs? 2006. So do they, they have the longest drought in professional sports now? Yes. <laughs> so we'll see if this is the... You know, the, the it's not the calendar year, but the, the 12 months for teams to break those droughts. All right, next up, speaking of quarterbacks, next on the list is Matt Ryan. Not that much, Matt Ryan. <laughs> Ice? I truly have no idea, Matt. I, on the Pelicans? The Los Angeles Lakers. Really? Where he played a lot tonight. Did he? So people kind of thought it was going to be a guy named Cole Swider uh, out of... Uh, I remember Cole Swider. Yeah, uh, he started his career at Vill- Villanova, went to Syracuse, and played really well during the summer league. And the Lakers were pretty high on him going into training camp. But he has been had his job usurped by Matt Ryan, who uh, started his college career at Notre Dame, subsequently transferred to uh, Vanderbilt, and then to Chattanooga, uh, where he finally averaged 15 points per game in his fifth year of college basketball back in 2019-20. He spent last year in the G League. Uh, had a brief cup of coffee, coffee, I believe, with the Celtics to, uh, last season. Yeah, got into one game for the Celtics, uh, but went to training camp with the Lakers, won their 15th spot. And how can Matt Ryan there. not be on the Celtics? What do you mean? His name is Matt Ryan. Yeah, I mean, he was. <laughs> yes. Like, the, the I, idea of Matt Ryan being on the Lakers and getting a bunch of playing time but not landing at the Celtics is pretty shocking for me. It is. <clears throat> uh, they desperately need his shooting, so we'll see if it continues. All right, next on the list, 
as discussed on the low post. Terry Taylor. On the Raptors? Indiana Pacers. <clears throat> okay. Terry Taylor is a basically a six foot five center. He's uh PJ he, Tucker style. Yeah. And extremely productive, was the most valuable player in the G League uh before he got called up by the by the Pacers on a two way. Uh and he's kinda he's very athletic for his size. You know, he's just like constantly rebounding and making things happen and he doesn't really have a position and he's a lot of fun to watch if you're a sicko league pass diehard like I am. All right, last on our list, Lindy Waters the third. <laughs> Are there no Spurs or Raptors? Well, you'll have to guess here. Uh, I'm going to guess that Lindy Waters the third is on the Spurs. Nope. Okay. There are no Spurs or Raptors. Wow. Personally, I don't know if I wanted to ask people to watch the Spurs this year, but they didn't have any really great candidates for it. Neither did the Raptors. Matt Ryan sure played 18 minutes and really did not show up in the box score. <laughs> one of four shooting. Well, he was like one if rebound. You, if you watch the game, he had fouls. There was a three he hit that got taken away because he had, or he got fouled on a three. His only points were a three. Well, he yeah, they're all going to be on threes. But, Matt Ryan just shoots threes. But he he got ruled to have stepped out of bounds before the shot. There was just a lot going on with Matt Ryan. If you watch the game, Westbrook uh, started. Yes. Who who was I saw there was chatter about Westbrook coming off the bench. He came off the bench against Sacramento in their last preseason game. Who would have started for him instead? Juan Toscano Anderson, Reeves? Well, if they started possibly if they started a big lineup, because they didn't play their center Damian Jones at all in this game. They just exclusively went small against the Warriors. Or possibly Austin Reeves, yeah. Is this team terrible? They don't look very good. <laughs> the bench, I'm just like, which? Oh God! As strongly God. as I feel about Sacramento over, I feel equally strongly about Lakers under. Uh, anyway, Lindy Waters the third, another dominant performer in the G League last year, who I had never previously heard of, even though he played at Oklahoma State. Uh, <laughs> he's a shooter, pretty good size on the wing, and uh, uh, also has Native American heritage. Oh, so there you go. So that's our list of 10 players this year. I don't know if we're going to have any any Bones Highlands on this list since we only have the one first-round pick this year, but uh, we'll, we'll see what, uh, what kind of breakouts and surprises we might be able to predict with this one. Lindy Waters the third, No longer at Oklahoma City, right? No, he's still in Oklahoma City, yeah. He's on the Thunder? Yeah. You gave me a Thunder player? I did. Is that, have I never given you a Thunder player before? I did get you as a Thunder player. Also, Poku the year before. I don't agree with that. <laughs> uh, I guess general thoughts about the NBA as we, we head to opening night just happened. Uh, I, your pick for the NBA Finals as of today? I picked Milwaukee Bucks over LA Clippers. How confident do you feel about the Clippers right now? Not that confident, but I feel like Basically, is you're sort of asking these questions about the West teams that they have the best chance of the answers being yes to is Kawhi Leonard healthy? Is Paul George healthy and playing well? Uh, do they have enough talent around them? Are there any rookies outside of, I know you love Keegan Murray. How has Paulo looked so far? I didn't watch him play at all during the preseason. His stats weren't super great, but I'm, I'm not too worried about that. Are there any other first round picks that you feel like are going to break out? 
I mean, Benedict Matherin, who was the sixth pick, was pretty awesome during the preseason. So we kind of like the Pacers, right? Yeah. Okay. Definitely Halliburton. Yeah. Terry Taylor. Uh, and then the Blazers. You have gone so far out of your way to predict that the Blazers will be bad for we're a decade straight. <laughs> I don't know if I'd go that far. Uh, again, when was the last time you went into a season saying, you know, I kind of like the Blazers? I think I was probably higher on them. Brandon than Roy was on the team when that oh. happened. Clyde Drexler was on the team the last <laughs> time that happened. I think I was probably higher on them than most after they got swept in the first round by New Orleans. And then that turned out to be the year they got to the conference finals. How is CJ playing, by the way? Oh, awesome. Are the Pels, the Pels are going to be a playoff team? They, they have a good chance. I'm high on the Pels. Who Their are projections they? are very strong. I look at that and I'm like, now that there are only six like full-on playoff teams, it's weirdly kind of hard in the NBA to make the playoffs. Yeah. You have to be like pretty fucking good. I mean, you have to be equally... You're equal, still equally likely to make the playoffs, but there's a lot less certainty about it. Yes. But but to be one of the six teams, like there can be some pretty good teams who end up in the play-in tournament. There will definitely be very good teams who end up in the play-in tournament. Who is your six in the West, though? In order. Uh, let me look this up because I, I did wins projections earlier. How are you feeling about that Warriors over under? I, I think that I I think the Warriors may go under. I'm not feeling good about my projection for them. No. What is their over under? Like 60 something. Their over under is no, no, it's not that high. There's no one that's that high these days. The highest line is I think like 54 and a half. Really? Or no, 50. No, I can't be right. Hmm. Yeah, I don't seem to have the correct ones in this that, that didn't get saved in this file. Is Ben Simmons playing this year? Yeah. That's the expectation? I mean, he's playing, yeah. He's been playing in the preseason? Yeah. How's it gone? Decently well. Okay. So let's see. The six that I had with the highest win totals in the West, Denver, LA Clippers, Phoenix, Golden State, Memphis, and then I had Dallas and Minnesota tied for six at 48 wins. So who does that leave in the play-in tournament? That would leave one of those two teams. New Orleans, which I have a win behind at 47. Uh, the Lakers and Sacramento. Okay. So, yeah, the preseason, not not super great for the Blazers. Not, not super encouraging. And you said that's very predictive? It's more predictive than people think. It's decently predictive, let's say. And the Blazers start tonight, as you're listening to this, against the Kings? Yes. And Shadon's done nothing? No, Shadon's had some good moments. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Gary Payton the second will miss the start of the season after coming off abdominal surgery during the summer. So that's not a good idea. Oh, side. that's why they didn't play well in the preseason. Yes. <clears throat> yes. I go. feel great about GP2 in Portland. I'm oh. like, I got to get down to Portland to see GP2 there. It's an ideal fit. It's overdue. Yeah. No, I'm excited about it. I'm excited about going to an NBA game again. So I think my first game is going to be Monday, which will be Blazers Nuggets. All right. Rematch of the 2019 conference finals. <laughs> I feel like you're going to be missing some sort of Broncos <laughs> TV game. I think they might they might have thankfully for the American viewing audience let the Broncos have a week off from I national TV. I would say I'm going to be missing it. <laughs> All right, let's get into our roundup starting with the Seattle Krakens 
first full week of the season, their promising start featured three points from their road back-to-back capped by an impressive 4-1 win over the LA Kings. But the vibes turned during their opening homestand as the Kraken gave up a goal 12 seconds into their home opener against the Vegas Golden Knights. A second in the first four minutes and lost 5-2 before again giving up five goals in Monday's 5-1 loss to Carolina. Kraken will try to get back on track Wednesday, closing out the homestand against St. Louis before visiting Colorado and Chicago. They'll be back home to face Buffalo next Tuesday. Owell Rain prepping for the semifinals, and they have an opponent. It's the Kansas City Current. Oh, man. advanced to the semifinals. Hate those Current. With a thrilling 2-1 win last Sunday in Houston. The game was even at 1-1, well into stoppage time, before Kate, Kate Del Fava netted the winner in the 100th minute. Basically, the uh, soccer regulation time equivalent of winning in the 18th inning. Impressive turnaround for the Current, who won just three matches last season, their first back in Kansas City after moving returning from Salt Lake City where they had played for a few years. Were they still the current? They were not. No, they they didn't name themselves until right before their final game over the regular season last year, which they beat O.L. Reign at home. Uh, Loeo Labanta, who scored the winner versus O.L. Reign in July from the spot, later went viral for faking an injury, then twerking after a successful penalty. What? <laughs> had seven goals, five of those coming on penalties, and four assists. While Cecilia Kaiser also scored seven goals, and Kristen Hamilton had six. The two teams traded one nothing wins at home, with Bethany Bolser netting the winning goal as a sub for the Reign on May 25th. Uh, Rain in the semifinals for the fourth consecutive postseason, having lost the previous three. They won the semifinals in both 2014 and 2015 under current manager Laura Harvey, losing the NWSL Cup final those two times as they'll try to make it back for the first time since 2015. This year feels different. I don't know if... Yeah, I mean, some of those semifinal runs the last few years, they were much bigger underdogs. Last year, they did host and was kind of a disappointing outcome that they lost that one. Uh, but notably, on the other side of the bracket, you know who has advanced to the NWSL semifinals? It's the Wave. Oh, the hated San Diego Wave did it with a 2-1 win over Chicago, the Red Stars. They will be facing Portland as the both... Uh, wow! So the other side of the semifinals is the two most hated <laughs> clubs in all of the NWSL? It, the it is, Thorns yes. and the Wave? Yes. Can San Diego stop winning for once? <laughs> <laughs> and the uh, both NWSL semifinals will be played Sunday in the Pacific Northwest. Hello. Before then, they play the final. I forget where they play the final. I want to say Audi Field, but definitely not in either. The of those weather two is about to start turning in the Pacific Northwest. That By the way, true. if you end up at this match, wear a rain jacket. It, uh, oh yeah, that's not going to be ideal. It's going to be wet. Wave. Get used to it. <laughs> You would think they would be used to it, of all people. Where is it? Because they're called the Wave. Yes, that's the joke. Thanks. It's actually very, very sunny and dry. Oh, I hadn't in heard. San Diego. Hadn't heard. <laughs> uh, where's the final played? Is it played at the higher? At the no, it's a neutral side. It is Audi Field on Saturday, October 29th. Where is Audi Field? DC. That's that's how they do it. Super like Bowl that. style. I hate that. Meet. No, I'm not a fan either. That's who's going to go to that. Remember, Who in Washington D.C. is going to go watch the O.L. Rain from Seattle, Washington, versus the San Diego hated San Diego Wave from San Diego, remember, California. Remember when we watched Real Salt Lake beat L.A. Galaxy on Landon Donovan's penalty? Yeah, it was great. MLS Cup final, but it was sort of like we were really pushing the the boundaries of sports fandom there. 
we got there like in probably the 40th minute, I want that, to say. That was the first year of Sounders Correct. soccer. So we were like, it was like like Kraken fans last year when they pretended to like hockey. Like it, it was the first year and you're like, ah, we, we love hockey for a long time, right? That's what we were sort of talking about. We had the partial plans, which is why we had tickets to that game. And also I remember it being extremely miserable weather for that one. Uh, well, exciting news. Ramping up the roundup. New Ken Palm dropped this week. Hello. Wow. The Huskies are projected number 113 to start the season, down three spots from where they finished 2021-22. That ranks them 10th in the Pac-12, <laughs> with a huge drop-off after the top nine to <laughs> UW, Cal, and Oregon State, who is somehow number 228 Oregon in the State. projections. Uh, the two top Pac-12 teams are Arizona and UCLA, who rank 10th and 11th overall, respectively. Huskies projected for an average finish of 7-13 and 13 in conference play and 14-16 and 16 overall. In addition to visiting number three Gonzaga for the projected resumption of the series last played in 2019 at Heckhead, Huskies' non-conference schedule also highlighted by a visit from number 13 Auburn hmm. in a rare, actual good non-conference game for the Huskies at home. Uh, they are two weeks away as we record this from beginning the season with their exhibition game, uh, I believe against Alaska Fairbanks. Wow. I kind of don't accept... It, it's there's really a, when you said new Ken Palm just dropped and it was 87 degrees this weekend <laughs> and the Mariners just finished playing time is a flat circle yeah you said the open, NBA opening night snuck up on you I feel like that's why because you're used to having a solid couple week buffer after the Mariners season ends things have changed well, they moved it up and also I just don't care that much now <laughs> I, all I care about is this list of players to pay attention to. I don't know. I'm I'm aimless before I have that list of players to pay attention to. Well, all you care about is being on the concourse during a UW football yes. game. As they I were love beating... being near a fo- UW football game. <laughs> you could sort of hear some cheering going on as they beat Arizona 49-39, to needing almost every one of those uh, 49 points to, to win this one. Uh, the Huskies' offense remains... Very, very good. Their defense, eh, not so much. So, I, I'm surprised we haven't heard anything about Michael Penix Jr. from you. What am I supposed to say about Michael Penix Jr.? You're supposed to continue saying that he's the best quarterback in UW history. I mean... He now owns the single-game passing record. The thing about Michael Penix Jr. is I don't need to say it because it's in the record books, Right? And it wasn't like he came close to Cody Pickett's record. Smashed Cody Pickett's record. It is correct. By 70 yards. So I I just can't even imagine. There is like a perfect uh, uh, coalescence of really bad defense and good offense happening at the same time. Yes. Which produces extraordinarily good offensive stats. Uh, but Michael Penix Jr. just keeps producing at this point my favorite sequence from saturday's game michael Penix jr throws a touchdown to giles jackson turns out there's a hold gets called back first and 20 next play michael Penix jr throws a touchdown to robo dude and just adds another extra 10 yards to his total based on that penalty i mean we knew going into that game that arizona did not have a good defense but 
they actually shut, like you now one of the things that stood out previewing that game is that their run defense had been really badly really bad they they stopped the run pretty effectively in this one cameron davis had another couple of touchdowns on the ground and Penix ran for one as well but that was part of the reason they had to throw for so many yards is because they weren't actually running the ball very well. Scorched them. I, I just... But Jaden Delora also had his way against the UW defense for much of this game before they had a couple of sacks late to kind of hold off the Arizona comeback, uh, attempted comeback that would have forced us potentially to leave the concourse and the Mariners viewing to make sure the Huskies actually held on to the win. So... Well, Saturday... The, I have nothing to... I did not pay any attention to this game. You didn't. Saturday, the Huskies travel to face Cal, still looking for their first road win of the Kalen DeBoer era. Cal had to feel good about starting 3-1, and one, capped with an easy win over the aforementioned Arizona in their Pac-12 opener, with that lone loss coming 24-17 at Notre Dame. But since then, the Bears were blown out in Pullman, then came back from a bye to be on the wrong end of Colorado's <clears throat> first win of the season last Saturday. Ordinarily... After a loss like that, you might wonder about Justin Wilcox being on the hot seat, but he just signed an extension through 2027 after turning down overtures from his alma mater, Oregon, last offseason. Based upon what? (laughs) Which part of it? What did Justin Wilcox do? I mean, I like I like Justin Wilcox, but like what did he do as a head coach at Cal that would have warranted an extension or even Oregon who especially Oregon. I mean, say what you will about Dan Lanning, but like Dan Lanning was probably the hottest coaching candidate as far as the coordinators moving up in the country, right? Uh, I mean, he was definitely way up there. Brent Venables was probably the hottest, right? I mean, Venables had done it maybe for longer, but Dan Lanning was coming off the best defense in the country. Yeah. Who had all 32 first round draft picks were on the Georgia defense and their defense is still good. No, I will say, that since Jeff Tedmer... How's Brent Venables doing, actually? I was curious. Is that a joke? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm never quite sure with you. Since Jeff Tedford's... I'm paying attention to college football this year. Since Jeff Tedford's departure, just not you know, <laughs> since Jeff Tedford's departure from Cal after the 2012 season, uh, they have played in three bowl games. Two of those have come under Justin Wilcox. So he's got that going for him. But definitely benefiting from low expectations at Cal right now. For sure. But also dealing with low resources. Like there's a, there's a f- two sides to that Cal point. Cal can be a good college football program. Probably. If Stanford can be good, Cal can be good. If Stanford can be good, any team in the country can be good. Who cares less about college football? Stanford I, or Cal? It's a great question. Stanford definitely cares less about college football. I don't know. Definitely doesn't mean more there. Um, <laughs> Still not the Big Ten motto, no matter how many times you say it. <laughs> is it the SEC's motto? It, it is, yes. Fingers crossed we'll end up there because it seems like the Big Ten's not happening anymore. We'll see. Uh, Cal has sunk to 73rd in football power index, just behind Arizona State for 10th in the Pac-12. They rank 84th in offensive efficiency, 59th on defense. Uh, At quarterback, Purdue transfer Jack Plummer ranks 10th in the Pac-12 in QBR. He's completing 61% of his passes for 6.9 yards per attempt. Saw that drop to 5.0 at Colorado. His top target is Jeremiah Hunter, who has at least 78 yards in four of the six games thus far. 
but was limited to three pretty sure catches that's the pass three. rusher we talked about at the beginning of the podcast. <laughs> three catches to thirty-four yards on Saturday. Turns out there's a lot of people named Jeremiah. <laughs> You're gonna have to keep him straight. Four-star true freshman running back Jaden Ott has averaged six point five yards per attempt as a starter from day one, but very boomer bust. Ran for an incredible two hundred and seventy-four yards and nineteen attempts against Arizona. That's why that run defense rated yes. so poorly. But his total just one hundred and fifty and three losses on forty-six attempts in nice. those games. Cal defense ranks near the top of the Pac-12 in most categories, albeit against a weak schedule. Arizona was the only above-average offense they've faced thus far. Jaden Delora threw for 401 yards in that game, almost as many as he had against UW. Uh, our old friend Jackson Sermon, who transferred last offseason to play for his dad, Peter Cal's defensive coordinator, after spending time on UW staff under Justin Wilcox, leads the team with 52 tackles, has a sack and a half after not recording any in four years on Montlake. We could... Probably use Jackson Sermon right about now. <clears throat> I mean, middle linebacker actually, I think, has been a pretty solid spot. All Who's there? Considered. Carson Bruner. They've got a big rotation there. Uh, Alfonso Tupatala is starting along with the Cameron Bright, and then Chris Mall saw a lot of action on Saturday. Bruner saw some action, plenty of action too. I I just I don't see a Pac-12 team that can stop Michael Penix at this point, and. You know, you're saying that they rank at the top of the Pac-12 in most categories. I, I, I will believe that when I see it. No, I I agree with that part of it. And Again, they're they're 59th in defensive efficiency. Literally yeah. every game that UW plays is going to come down to, can the defense get enough stops to win UW the game? The offense is going to score the points. Can the defense get a handful of stops to win them the game, it's what happened against Arizona at home. It's what didn't happen against UCLA and Arizona State. And that really is it. It's, it is not the offense is going to do what they're going to do. At no point, in, until I have seen it otherwise, I will not be concerned about this UW offense not scoring points. It is just about the defense. Yeah, I mean, they're going to occasionally not score points on a possession. That's just, you need to not have the, that be the standard. Sure, on a possession, but like, yeah, they, they will put up enough points offensively that if the defense gets a handful of stops, they will win the game. Which should likely be the the situation here. Is This this is Saturday? Saturday night, 7.30 p.m. kick. All right, all right. I'm going to be back from Baltimore. Huskies, seven and a half point favorites in this one. I really, I, I feel good about it. And Kaelin DeBoer getting that first road victory. It's not a house of horrors in the way that UCLA and Arizona State have been. And I feel like we just have to chalk those two up. I think UCLA is a good team. Uh, I believe the last time the Huskies played there, I'd have to double check this, but I think the last time the Huskies played there would have been the the Jake Hayner game. That can't be. I think it can. That was 2018, wasn't it? And then 2020 was canceled due to the pandemic. That was <gasps> supposed to be the UW season opener, right? Where Cal had a player test positive for oh, yeah. COVID-19 the week of the game. I, I, it doesn't. Cal does not concern me, though, as far as like an opponent in the way. It's nighttime at Cal. I mean, the, pre, the previous game before that, where they played in the entertainment Cal, as they did in 2018 as well, was 2016 when... Weren't you there? I was there. Yeah. John Ross scored a couple of t- long touchdowns. Dante Pettis scored a couple of touchdowns. Husky's going to win this by like two, three touchdowns. It's going to be comfortable. I don't know if I go that far. 80% chance of winning. I'm going 70%.
appropriate fear of, of the exactly US the same as FPI. Yeah. All right, let's wrap up by talking about the Seahawks, who moved to three and three on the season with a nineteen nine win Sunday against the Arizona Cardinals. A defensive struggle, surprisingly. I, I don't know what those are like. I, I've never seen one of those as a Seattle football fan. You were at this game? Take it was away. great. It was great. <clears throat> I am. I told you. All in on the Seahawks all of a sudden. It, it, it feels like just took a second to get into this team, to understand who they are. And this week we saw something that we had not seen from the Seahawks team before. And we saw defense. And I I wanted to see it before I believed it. I think that is fair. You criticized me for this last week. Tariq Woolen is the second coming. <laughs> I I was talking with uh, uh babyist fantasy genius is very into football. He has a book where he was like filling in the current the current goats of different position groups. I was like, I'm actually curious who you, who you would have said about these positions. Vis-a-vis uh, uh, Mateo. Okay, quarterback. Who's the current goat? Yeah. Mahomes. He said Josh Allen. Josh, Allen, ha- Josh Allen has, he has the fucking belt right now. I'm he, sorry. He may have taken it on Sunday. The second running back. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I, I told him his name was Rashad Penny or Ken Walker the third. No, but who do you think he said for running back? Jonathan Taylor. It's probably Jonathan Taylor, right? That's what he said. Wide receiver. Um, I don't know who is the consensus right now. It's still Cup. Oh, okay. He won the Super Bowl. Yeah. Luca's initial instinct. He said J. Jeff, and I was like, in Cooper Cup, D line. Aaron Donald? Yeah, Aaron Donald, linebacker. I don't... I mean, if we're talking off-ball linebackers, I mean, I guess like Fred Warner? But It's not necessarily off-ball linebackers. Or pass rush. D-line is more like interior. I suppose. you. If you're saying who's the uh, edge rusher at the moment, TJ Watt? I said TJ Watt, too. Yeah. Secondary. This was the hardest piece. And... Well, it's tough in part because I feel like the answer might be someone we're going to talk about in a little bit here. Or the answer might have been coming into the season, someone we're going to talk about in a little bit here. And he is very much not the answer anymore. So I, I don't... I I mentioned to him that it was a, a young player named Tariq Woolen. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I knew that's where we were going with this whole thing, yes. I actually told him that Sauce Gardner was playing really well, too. Really, you look at corners, and I feel like there's been kind of a generational change where it's like Patrick Sertan. If the Seahawks could have gotten Patrick Sertan in that trade for Russell Wilson, oh. I don't know if it was ever on the table. I'm assuming it's not. I I look at it, and I'm like, what pick did Sauce get drafted with? Like seven or eight? Or was, was he higher? Five. Maybe it was five. The C- I think the Seahawks in this draft will have a chance to draft a possibly generational quarterback aside from maybe they'll just be happy with Mike Jackson or whatever, but I think they'll have a chance next year to draft a phenomenal cornerback and pair them with Tariq Woolen and possibly have one of the best secondaries in the league. But the way that Woolen has played, the way that Sauce has played, the way that Patrick Sertan has played is kind of like there's a bit of a generational shift as far as secondary play in 2022. The disrespect to Kobe Bryant. And and Kobe Bryant and Mike Jackson, but but I I needed to see it until I believed it. And all of the Seahawks' defensive problems, there have been tons. They're 
name is <clears throat> Cody Barton. But like <laughs> that's not <laughs> it's not just about Cody Barton, but like I feel like the linebacking core has been a huge part of it. The secondary at various times, but that's not really where they're giving stuff up. And Tariq Woolen was against what should have been a good offense in the Arizona Cardinals. It's not. It's not a good offense. Don't get me wrong. Maybe the worst offense. Tariq Woolen shut them down. Comes up with the interception, with the fumble recovery. He's near the ball. Tariq Woolen is... I, I, everybody else knew this beforehand. I'm not breaking news to anybody. I was wrong. But I wasn't wrong. I was right to have wanted to wait to see it before I believed it. But Pete Carroll fucking did it again. Come on. You can't tell me you didn't. Pete did it again. It, it took a long time. But eventually, yes. And it, it he's I developed mean, some young corners. He hasn't developed two at a time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's, he's developed some young corners just in time for them to get free agent. But like DJ Reed was like Shaquille Griffin was a third round pick. It's not the same as drafting. Sha- Shaquille was a second round pick. Okay. Either way, the, the point remains. Like him drafting Silvio Payne into a starter was a reasonable expectation. Woolen, where he dra- was drafted, developing into a starter was not a reasonable expectation, and certainly not in year one. So. Even though I'm pretty confident, I'm going to come out and go on a limb here. I don't think Tariq Woolen is going to intercept a pass every game he plays going forward. We'll I see. I think he's going to have some games where he doesn't. I don't see any evidence to the contrary. Just like the Husky offense might not score a touchdown on some drives going forward. Yeah, they didn't score on the very last drive against <laughs> fucking uh, Arizona State. It was very frustrating. Yeah. But uh, it's also funny because it's like he was like the most obvious draft prospect to people like us you're like oh there's a guy who's super tall and also he's super fast why why wouldn't you want to draft him and yet still he was out there well into day day three i i really i feel like again we're through six weeks whatever i'm not gonna say that i owe an apology to Pete carol and john schneider but so far throughout this year, throughout the last four or five seasons, if you would have just put your faith into Pete Carroll and John Schneider, you would have come up disappointed during that time period, right? Nobody can really argue otherwise. Putting your faith in those those people as evaluators in the draft and understanding positional value and how to put together an offense and a defense and rule changes have been wrong somehow in the 2022 season, all of the people who are extraordinarily positive about Pete Carroll, John Schneider, and the Seahawks in general, it's all worked. It was a draft class that we saw, and, and I, I, I think I was appropriately waiting to be convinced. But we were still excited about the process of the draft. We liked the, the draft. The process of the draft, but as on the individual level, the players... They should not have worked as well as it has so far this season. And it has. And again, I thought it was extraordinarily unlikely to replicate something similar to what they did in 2011, 2012. And so far, you have to say that something is building. Also, we went through this as a semi-positive to Pete Carroll. How many good coaches in the NFL are there? There's not that many you can feel confident about. I, I really think... That for the moment, Pete Carroll, I, I, 
there's something about Russell Wilson. I just don't know what it is. Like, seeing Russell Wilson in another team and just how badly it's going is, like, you can't help but being relieved <laughs> that that is not us who's going through this, right? And who also has their draft picks. It's nothing—Russell Wilson obviously had phenomenal seasons with the Seahawks, but it's kind of like all of the annoying things that are happening, which for the most part are probably not Russell Wilson's fault. It's just like Pete Carroll feels different now than he did with Russell Wilson as his quarterback. And they had a great time together, but Pete Carroll feels like a different coach. The offense is a different offense than it was under Russell Wilson. I don't know if I'd necessarily say that. I mean, I think Shane Waldron in his second year as offensive coordinator, there's just there's a greater degree of confidence and certainty and that manifests itself in things like the fake fumble snap oh my God, that was awesome right what, what a time you haven't even mentioned ken walker the third yet in terms of this draft class and look i'm still unconvinced fully unconvinced that running backs matter but ken walker the third is very fun to watch play running back and had great results last week and one of the things I said about this season was when we did our season preview with Ben Baldwin was, you know, how I was going to feel about if the Seahawks exceeded expectations was going to depend on how it happened. Yep. That if it was all about veteran players and it was, you know, prim- primarily that, you know, I don't know, that Al Woods played great. And Okay, but how dare you? Hmm? How dare you? <laughs> If Al Woods plays great, that's going to be awesome. I mean, I'm not saying it's not going to be great, but maybe Al find Woods, somebody else. Al Woods is one of the oldest defensive players in the NFL. So that's why he came to mind. Big Al Woods. If the, Would you if rather I say Shelby Kate, Harris? Uh, he made a play, and I was like, "Wow, his first play that he made as a Seahawk." If it was Bruce Irvin, or they brought back KJ Wright, or whatever. That's one thing. But if it were young players and giving you reason to believe that you're building something, that would be an entirely different scenario. And I think Sunday's game was the clearest example of that. Geno Smith did not have his best game as a quarterback. It wasn't really about Tyler Lockett working magic on offense. It was prim- a lot about these young players delivering. Kobe Bryant forced that fumble that uh, Tariq Woolen recovered. And, you know, you... Terrell Taylor with a sack. That was nice to see. Uh, The offensive line, you know, the tackles continue to play extremely well as rookies. Walker. So that, to me, is more exciting even than the result itself. So, Anything else from this game? I want to look up. Where was Geno in quick reads? Uh, 27th, I believe. Was he really? Yeah. So the offense dropped PJ three Walker spots. Was 27th with eight. They have a tweet from uh, Computer Cowboy in that one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, Gino did not have a great DR game. He did not. I don't think he had a bad... It wasn't that bad of a game, though. It wasn't a great DR game, but it wasn't that bad of a game. I mean, part of it was some regression came on both sides of the ball. The Seahawks weren't going to be as effective. They, they had already regressed on third downs against New Orleans, but they weren't going to continue being as effective on third downs as they had been. Conversely, particularly third and long, conversely, the defense wasn't going to keep being as bad on third downs as it had been, and that improved. Also, we've got to acknowledge Arizona missing on three fourth downs in Seahawks territory made this game look a little better for the Seahawks defense than it really was. But they also scored three offensive points. Like yes, like if you if you're really pointing that it's. I mean, they to, still improved nine spots in defensive DVOA. 
So it's kind of great. I just like I am I am so all in on this team in a way that I never imagined. Who knows if Gino's the quarterback of the future or whatever? But we, we're not in the future. We are in this very moment. We are in week seven of the 2022 NFL season, and this team is fun. And the thing that I personally I've I've not argued. I don't know if you've necessarily disagreed with me, but the thing that I've taken from the NFL in 2021, 2022 is that I think receivers matter a lot more than they're valued. And we see it. I mean, they're still valued a lot, but obviously receivers are valued a lot, but receivers matter a lot. And I, we talked about this about Russell Wilson. It was like, go get traded to the Broncos, have fun with those receivers. Right. And then I see fucking Cortland Sutton had one catch or something yesterday. Like their receivers looked very bad in that game. And maybe they're just not getting open. And I think people are undervaluing how much that could be a factor. Is that we were saw we saw Russell Wilson beforehand with a generation of Doug Baldwin, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and now we're seeing him with worse receivers. And I mean I I would never speak any anything negative about this person. Jermaine Curse was his number two wide receiver for no. two trips to the Super Bowl. Russ played with some worse receivers than that. But like DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett as a tandem are playing now with Geno Smith as their quarterback and still look really fucking good. Like that matters that that's happening and being able to do that. So I think that receivers matter more than I think quarterbacks obviously matter the most. Receivers do matter though. And yeah. having those players in place has made Geno's life a lot easier. For sure. And and Shane Waldron scheming as well as possible. So, but I just, I I watched this game with Clay. It was the first time that I felt that feeling under Geno of like, I was, now I look back at that Falcons game, which doesn't necessarily look like a terrible loss, but like, I look back at that Falcons game and I'm just like, how the fuck did we lose that game? You know? Like, this team could be 4-2. The Broncos could also be 1-5. <laughs> they beat the they beat the Niners somehow. Well, One you know who, ten. <laughs> you know who is four and two. <sighs> it's the Los Angeles Chargers who are this week's Seahawks opponent. Speaking of how is this team four and two? They got there with Monday's thrilling overtime win over the Broncos, nineteen sixteen. Chargers rank eleventh in DVOA, two spots behind the Seahawks, but are still twelve spots better in the preseason informed Dave rating. Uh, Chargers a bit better than average in all three phases. They're 12th on offense, 14th in defense, and 15th in special teams on DVOA. That being above average on defense is a big change from 2021 when the Chargers <clears throat> ranked 26th at that end in Brandon Staley's first year as head coach, ultimately costing them a playoff spot. They went out and added J.C. Jackson and Khalil Mack this offseason and particularly have improved the run defense that was a huge issue in Staley's two-high system his first year. Chargers ranked 30th in opponent rushing DVOA last year. They're still below average there, but no longer terrible, despite actually allowing a league-high 5.6 yards per carry. But they have improved to 11th in pass defense. Mack has, has delivered. He has six sacks, ranking second in the NFL. Was particularly devastating playing opposite Joey Bosa before Bosa was lost to a groin muscle tear in week three. Mack had four sacks in the first two games. Chargers average in sack rate, but poor thus far in pressure and hurry rates. 
JC Jackson, meanwhile, has struggled following preseason ankle surgery and actually got benched in after halftime on Monday after being responsible for a pair of big plays on drives where the Broncos scored 10 of their 16 points. <laughs> Quarterback Justin Herbert has regressed a little bit after his terrific sophomore campaign. Herbert down to 14th in Dakota Composite after finishing 11th last year. Where does Gino rank? Higher than that, I'm not sure. Uh, Herbert has never ranked all that high in CPOE, but he's 8th in QBR. Herbert suffered rib cartilage fracture in Week 2, against Kansas City, has played through it since then, and is averaging just 6.3 yards per attempt post-injury. His 4.2 yards per attempt on Monday were his lowest since a 45-0 loss to New England as a rookie. It, it was a... It, I think the Broncos' defense is quite good. Where, where does the Broncos' defense rank in DVOA? I'm not sure, but they are quite good, yes. But seeing the Chargers reduce to... A lot of dump offs to Austin Eckler. A lot of short passes to Gerald Everett. Thankfully, not is enough uh, dump offs to Austin Eckler to beat me in fantasy. That's nice. That's good for you. Uh, I I think they really struggled getting the ball downfield in that game. Obviously, the Broncos' defense, uh, good secondary or whatever, but yeah, like I mean, they're number one in pass DVOA. Uh, okay, that makes sense. But it's kind of wild. The Broncos just like are not what they were last year. You would have really expected that their offense was going to be good and their defense wouldn't. That's just a strange fucking team. Uh, but the Bronco or the Chargers, they just didn't look like the Chargers in that game. And there were so many drives, especially in overtime, where even in the drive where they got the ball after the muffed punt, they did nothing. Like they still made it look difficult. Almost every aspect of the game. I think the Chargers made it look difficult. And it's felt like that's kind of been their entire season. At no point have we seen Herbert, and it looked like the Herbert that we saw last year, this season. I think in week one. And part of that has been injuries. He's also been missing Keenan Allen, who hasn't played since early in week one due to a hamstring injury. And then on Monday, the Chargers were also without center Corey Lindsley due to food poisoning. Uh, Bill Bartwell noted on Twitter that Herbert has a 41 QBR in the small sample size without Lindsley this season as compared to 75 without him, or with him, I should say. Of course, that was largely against the Broncos. Without Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, the unquestioned number one receiver for the Chargers, it's been the most extreme all-or-nothing game-to-game season I have ever seen. As every fantasy owner of Mike Williams knows. Yeah, I This is not like a Mike Williams with Justin Herbert thing. This is a Mike Williams thing. It's true. Uh, But three games with at least 113 yards receiving this year, three with no more than 17, and nothing in between. You've started, I guarantee you, all of us have started Mike Williams and been like, oh shit, and also all of us have started Mike Williams and been like, oh shit. Uh, Josh Palmer and old friend Gerald Everett, Herbert's other favorite targets besides Austin Eckler out of the backfield. Eckler has a team-high 41 catches, albeit for just 6.4 yards each, has scored four touchdowns. It's not a good offense. If they're throwing the ball to Austin Eckler, you're winning. Like, that is is, maybe not winning the game, but, like, you're winning that play where they're trying to force the ball to Eckler. Same with Gerald Everett, though, too. It felt like it was a lot of short passes to Gerald Everett, who is a good tackle breaker, but... Again, if that's what the offense is, 
and it's not getting the ball downfield if it passes to Eckler and to Gerald Everett in the flat and break a tackle and try to get a first down. That is a very difficult offense to run. And that's what we've seen from the Chargers. It relies a lot on third downs, which is something that is very variable. And if the Seahawks can get into those situations, it's funny because you would have circled this one on the calendar as like maybe one of the most difficult games of the year. Yeah. Maybe it's still that. I don't know. Uh, I see the point spread as, what is it, six and a half right now? That's correct. Feels pretty high for this game, especially because it's not... Uh, the Giants moved up DVOA-wise, right? I'm Yeah, I'm sure they did. This isn't a team who's been lucky to be at three and three. The Seahawks DVOA-wise to be three and three are probably a little bit unlucky to be there. Which is interesting because they've also been outscored by 17 points. Schedule, yeah, and the schedule doesn't seem that hard. So it's it's still a little little interesting, the disconnect between DVOA and point differential there. Where did they get, like, absurdly outscored that is skewing that? The Niners game? Yeah. That's that big of a difference? It is when you don't win the any of the games you win by more than 10 points, yeah. I guess that's true. Uh, but it, uh, this is not a game that I approach as saying that the Seahawks cannot win this game. Like in preseason, I would have assumed that this was it was a set in stone in pen lock of a loss. I don't know if I'd say that. And all preseason, we thought the Chargers might be the best team in the NFL. We thought that it was the class. They were the, of the Bills. We thought the. I, I mean, I think I they were questions. You're would, forgetting this. You are forgetting this. No, I mean, people were very high on the Chargers. I'm not disputing that. We, I think, we all went over on but a Chargers. Not very as, high over under. Sure, but not as high as on them as the Bills. It was like the Bills, there were questions about the Chiefs, but probably still the Chiefs and the Chargers were the AFC class. Yeah. And the Chargers have not lived up to that. And statistically, that is showing, right? They're hiring Dave because of the preseason expectations. But, but the preseason seen, expectations still matter. That's I, why Dave includes them. I agree that they matter. But what we've seen on the field this year from the Chargers is not the team that we saw last year. And it's not the team we expected to see this year. Also, I'm not sure who exactly has surpassed them in the AFC pecking order. The Ravens for sure have. I mean, the, the Ravens Jets, are still of course, behind have. Them in the stadiums. The Ravens are a better team than the Chargers are. Probably. Also, the Chargers, as annually is the case, again, ex- hit extremely hard by injuries. When you lose Joey Bosa to a 10-week injury, like that's a problem. When you lose Keenan Allen for all but Is Keenan Allen out? For this I, game? I don't know what his status is. I have not seen an update yet on his status for this game. So, you know, obviously we're recording this on, on Tuesday and they haven't returned to practice yet. I think Jack's New England has been a much better team than we would have expected. Jacksonville is better. Like, I don't... But Jacksonville is not ahead of the Chargers. Jacksonville just lost to the Colts. I think, I think Jacksonville's you're, a, you're too low on how the Chargers have played those. Jacksonville games. is a better team than the Chargers. I would be personally more scared of playing Jacksonville than I would have played in the Chargers right now. I think you're overreacting. This is classic recency bias. Okay. Yeah. We'll see. I this Chargers team, they almost lost to the fucking Browns. Like 
What have the Chargers done this year? The Browns makes... haven't been that bad overall. I mean, so they got bat- beaten very badly on Sunday. Where are they at in DVOA? Can you just pull up DVOA and stop asking I don't, me where I every team is I can't in get DVOA? past 16 now. Well, you can't come up with a... You can't make a password? I have a password. I'm logged in. Well, then you're looking at the wrong page. I don't think so. <laughs> you're confident you're not? That they've just decided to stop showing beyond 16? Yeah. Uh, Cleveland is 21st in DVOA. Okay, there's your great team. I'm just saying they're not terrible. They're I, not Indianapolis, who's 30th. Like, when you said that the Chargers were 4-2, and two, I, didn't, I didn't agree with that. Uh, Brandon Staley apparently did say after the game that Keenan Allen is on pace to return to practice fully this week. That could be a problem. Keenan, I mean, I, I, was it the last, I feel like Keenan Allen has torched the Seahawks historically. Not really enough games to really matter, but like... Yeah, but I'm just saying, every time he's played the Seahawks, he's torched them. There was the Philip Rivers game in Seattle where they just converted every single third down in that game. If Keenan Allen is back, I, I think we could even do percentage chances of victory with or without, because I think Keenan Allen is a huge deal. But you look at the season here, like they beat the Raiders by five. They lost to the Chiefs in a close game. They got crushed by the Jaguars. Literally, they lost by 28 points to the team that you're saying is recency bias is better. Yeah. Focusing on that one game is recency bias. They barely beat the Texans. They they barely beat the Browns. They had to rely on a missed field goal to beat the Browns. And then they beat the Broncos in that cursed Monday night game. Like, this has not been a good season. They are a bad 4-2 right now. I mean, they're 11th in DVOA. The Seahawks are just better, though. Okay, they've been better this season. Again, We did the residue of all knowledge in the world is not the last six weeks. The world existed prior to the last six weeks. It's the team that didn't make the playoffs last year. Did the Seahawks make the playoffs? Did I miss that? <laughs> Gino wasn't the starter for the whole year. God damn it. <laughs> uh, I think the Keenan Allen injury is a big deal. Their offense just feels off. Did you not? You weren't re-watching that game? Not really. Their offense is off. There's something wrong. Well, again, I noted to you all the injuries, including their starting center, who got food poisoning the day of the game. Did you really? Yes. Corey Lindsley? Yes. Okay. And also, Justin Herbert is injured. And I don't know that he'll be much healthier on Sunday, but that's a big factor here. All right. If if Keenan Allen plays... You're pushing me to be much more pro-Chargers in this than I was anticipating. I'm going 85% chance of victory for the Chargers. <laughs> I was wrong that it was not Keenan Allen back in 2014 when Phil Rivers came into Lumen Field and beat the Seahawks. It was uh, Antonio Gates was the big problem. The seven catches for 96 yards. Was Keenan Allen on the team in 2014? Yeah, Keenan Allen was on the team. He only had five catches for 55 yards. But what the, year was he drafted? The 2018 game. That might have been his rookie season. The 2018 game, he had six catches for 124 yards against the Seahawks. So he was a major issue in that one. Drafted in 2013. Wow, Keenan Allen's really, he's kind of old. Yeah. It's funny because in my head, Keenan Allen is n- never plays. Right? In my head, Keenan Allen misses like maybe 50% of the games. He's really not missed that many games in his career. I think sometimes when you have a player in fantasy football, it 
it tends to have more of an impact than it he had two should. seasons that he missed. He missed half of his 2015 season and almost all 16. Yes. But, but then he's played 13 or more games. I guess 2020, they only played 14 games. Uh, 14 or more games for every full season since then. I'm kind of shocked by that. Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm a little shocked by that. I'm a huge Keenan Allen fan. Keenan Allen's great. And, and if he's back, I think the chances of winning are much lower. Okay, what are they if Keenan Allen's back? I'm going to say 35% with Keenan Allen, 45% otherwise. I'm going to say... You said 85%. That's your number. Yeah, okay. I'm sticking <laughs> with it. 15% for the I shot. mean, are the, uh, like there's six and a half hundred point underdogs. I get it. But I do think... We talked about this with Arizona. Arizona was the favorites heading into that game. They were. And the thing that Vegas didn't understand about Arizona is that they're fucking terrible and i hate them <laughs> like just every second of that game i was like i can't even imagine we think it's bad we traded the best quarterback in franchise history this offseason and i would never want to be a cardinals fan like the idea of being a fan of that team with that coach like it is just, it is, ugh, it's disgusting to me. I was upset at Cliff Kingsbury for going for fourth downs because it was giving analytics a bad name. <laughs> they kept failing to convert them. You give analytics a bad name. Just Cliff Kingsbury is like, I just, that team, I would, everything about them is wrong. I feel and like now they you've don't had the opposite have a take defense. of this. They do not have a good, last year I saw that their over-under was, was off. Now it's just like, I want nothing to do with the fucking Cardinals. Look, and also, same shit. Maybe DeAndre Hopkins will come back and they'll be a good team just like that. It's it's certainly going to be helpful that they are simultaneously losing Hollywood Brown. Oh, they've not had Hollywood Brown before. I mean, they had Christian Kirk, but like... I, now, now they've got Robbie Anderson. DeAndre Hopkins is a better receiver than Hollywood Brown. Yeah. But I'm saying it's different but than it if they were just so adding Hopkins it, and fucking, both of them. I look at that and I'm just like, it disgusts me that the Cardinals got given DeAndre Hopkins for nothing because they did nothing to deserve him. No. The Cardinals did not deserve DeAndre Hopkins. Look, whatever, the Bills get Stefan Diggs. It's like, yeah, you earned Stefan Diggs, right? Wasn't the pick that, or did the Vikings have the pick already that they got no, JJ? It, it was Jefferson was the pick. Everybody's happy here. The yeah. Cardinals did not deserve DeAndre Hopkins. They swindled the Texans for DeAndre Hopkins. They didn't do anything to to earn DeAndre Hopkins in that trade. All they did was bad. If only, Everything the Cardinals have ever done is bad. If only you could make an extremely favorable trade. Who can imagine such a scenario for your team? We'll see. It's only been six weeks. <laughs> I'm feeling pretty cool good about it. Uh, I do see a scenario where that's like maybe the fourth pick in the draft, though. <laughs> You could look at some of those I, games. I looked at the odds of the top five on football centers. Now, they'll have, not have as much incentive to lose as some other teams. But that's not as big of a factor in They've football. They've got the end of their season. is. Do you think Russell Wilson starts every game for the Broncos? Well, no, I would definitely not take that bet at even odds. Because of injury or? Yeah, I mean, I don't think they're going to. Who is their backup quarterback? Do they have Drew Locke still? <laughs> He's nipping at Gino Smith's <laughs> heels in practice. Just right there at his heels. I was looking this up on 
football reference, but now it's occurring to me that since that quarterback hasn't played, he won't be listed on the roster anywhere. So you'd have to go to see an actual Denver Broncos roster to get it. It's definitely Joe Flacco. <laughs> uh, Brett Ripien. Oh, yes. They still have, though, if you want to trust the step chart, Melvin Gordon III listed as the starting running back. So that's one thing we know is not true. Wait, who started? And Mike Boone started? Latavius Murray. Uh, you definitely did not watch that no, game. I, I really they didn't. kept showing on the sideline Melvin Gordon looking angry. Well, I was I was playing against Melvin Gordon in fantasy, so I was I you, was happy. You, they should have cut to you looking happy. <laughs> that was really the only way I experienced this game was through fantasy football. It wasn't even on in the background. He was on in the background. Uh, Latavius Murray had 15 carries, and uh, Melvin Gordon uh, was sent to Mexico City, even though they didn't play the game in Mexico City. Tough bait. Three carries for eight yards. No, he's. It, it took years for them to understand how bad that signing was. But we all knew it at the time, but the Broncos finally got it. Mike Boone had one carry for one yard. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I am fascinated to see if Justin Herbert is 37 for 57 and averages 4.2 yards per completion or whatever. I'm going to take the over on that one, although still more yards per... Uh, no, I guess that's not. It was net yards per attempt that Kyler Murray, under four, the first time the Seahawks had held an opponent under four since the 2020 season. I, I, I think there's... It'll be an interesting test for the Seahawks defense, too, of what it looks like. The Chargers aren't the offense we thought they would be going into the season, but it'll be an interesting test. I think people are... Very eager to buy into the narrative that, oh, it's going to be another defensive turnaround oh my like God. those past Dude, two seasons. The fucking the story that Pete Carroll told when he went on the Monday morning show and he was like, yeah, we moved Puna Ford outside. That's why it worked. And it's like, did Puna Ford make the Cardinals a bad offense? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, again, you could see this and I can't. Where did the Cardinals rank in DVOA offensively? They didn't actually drop that much because between some combination of opponent adjustments and whatever else was in there, it it was mostly that the the Seahawks defense got credited rather than the Cardinals defense getting But where were they? Where are they? I think the 27th. Okay. So Puna Ford moving to the outside made the Cardinals have the 27th best offense. It was just like... Even opponent adjusted, it was by far the best defensive performance by the Seahawks. I just love the idea. People always try to explain. They want the story of something that doesn't need a story. The story is the Cardinals fucking suck. And Puna Ford could play wherever, but that does not change anything. Cody Barton could have been on that field, and the Cardinals still would have been fucking terrible. It, like, was, it was the first time this season the Seahawks have had better than average defensive DVOA, and they hadn't even been particularly close all season. All right, all right. I, I will give it up to the Seahawks. But there was, there was more of a narrative, and Pete Carroll loves to do this shit. There was more of a narrative that literally the Cardinals being bad just could have explained. But Certainly it was probably a bigger factor. It wouldn't, it wouldn't have been a very fun on the radio show. <laughs> if you would have been like, yeah, they're trash. Especially when you have another game to play. We didn't do anything different. <laughs> you have another game to play in Arizona. <laughs> yeah, we ran it back. They're just really, really bad. I don't know if you noticed. Uh, oh, Lord. On that note. Thanks for listening. Thanks. <laughs>